coming along. It is the gardening programme on a lovely sunny Saturday morning in Porrick. Good morning Good morning, Deirdre. And the weather for long range forecast is, is to be excellent. I see a big ridge of high pressure coming up from the south from Tuesday on. So that's going to bring us uh, dry conditions, calmed conditions, fantastic growing conditions. And we can see already, I was even just admiring many of the plants on the way up this morning. Plants like the forest flame beginning to break buds, mm. lots of the cherries and flower, lots of new growth. Uh, particularly after the the week we've had, where you get that, we get those kind of showers yeah. and and typical spring weather uh, showers, and then the bit, bit of heat, heat together really brings plants on. Oh, yeah, I've noticed a preponderance of dandelions in the lawn. They're beginning yeah. to flower. Yeah. yeah, the bees will be visiting the flowers now. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and that's it. That's a real sign of spring. And and this week in particular, we're going to see very very strong growth. So one of the things I would advocate to people, and we did mention it last week, is to start feeding plants. It seems a simple thing. But when you get this, the heavy showers where you don't get prolonged rain that's going to wash mm. the fertiliser out of the soil, if you get, you know, a quick burst of, of showers, that washes fertiliser in very well. And if you, listeners can get that on over the weekend. So in terms of roses, they should be fed now this time of year. And in general, trees and shrubs, this is the time to get some fertiliser on, a general purpose tree and shrub fertiliser, Osmo Pro 6, something like that, a granulated feed around the base of the plants. Most plants require about a half a handful to maybe two quarters of a handful around the base of the plant. Per plant. Keeping it out well away from the main stem, so keep the fertiliser out, the spread of the branches normally. Okay, so that's where, right. yeah, I, That's a mistake I would make now. Yeah, because I'd probably put it too close to the stem. And particularly for listeners that may have gravel or bark or plantex down, they tend to just chuck it right in at the base where the little gap is. But you need to spread it way out, at least to the spread of the branches of the plants, because that's where the feeding roots are. So sprinkle it about half to two quarters of a handful, put on a good tree and shrub fertiliser. Now this weekend, if you can, with the showers, it's going to wash it in and the growth that's going to come then from Tuesday on, you're going to see really, really strong growth. There's no point feeding plants in the middle of the summer. This is the time to feed them because they're actively growing. So if you've got young hedges, uh, trees and shrubs in general, fruit trees, uh, plants in general, roses, anything that needs a bit of energy, a bit of a boost, now is the time to feed. And generally we feed a month later. So normally at the beginning of April and again around the first week of May uh, as a general tip. So get the fertilisers on now. With houseplants as well, mm-hmm. we often don't speak about houseplants. This is the time of year to repot houseplants in general. So if you've got, you know, weeping fig trees or geraniums or general houseplants in the garden, spider plants uh, in the home, this is the time to repot them generally into the next size pot up um, with a good quality compost. And again, start to liquid feed houseplants, baby bio or one of the general liquid feeds. Uh, again, about every fortnight to three weeks at this time of year, because plants are actually, the day length has got longer, the temperatures are rising, so growth is starting, both on indoor plants and external plants. The other thing that, uh, dear, dear, the, the temperatures are very good for sowing seed in general, so if listeners want to put in lawns, uh, if they're ready to put in lawns, this is really great weather for germinating seed. Mm-hmm. You mentioned 12 to 14 degrees. Yes, We're probably indeed. We're going to go above that this this um, coming week, probably up to 15, 16 degrees. So it's perfect germinating or sprouting weather. Um, so you're going to see your weeds sp- okay. sprouting all over the place. Thank, That's you, thank you for the adv- advance warning so, on that. So keep on top of those. But in general, the sowing of, of seeds, so lawn seed, if you put that in now, I mentioned last week about sowing a lot of vegetable and herb seed, things like the green manure. But also you could start sowing hardy annuals, things like um, nasturtiums, uh, Calendulas, the English marigold, the scented white alisum, um, things like candy tuft, they can be sown from seed directly out of doors now. So if you rake off a little bit of soil, sow the seed into the soil, 
just cover it over it a bit, a bit again just rake it in within two to three weeks those little seedlings will start to germinate and you've got lots of flower uh, then from June onwards so look for the hardy annuals when it, the word hardy annual means you can literally sow it out of, di- out of doors irrespective of the weather we're going to get it's going to be tough and hardy so lots of those seed can be actually germinated out of, si- out of doors now but also vegetable herb seed and lawn seed so seed in general this mm-hmm. is the time of year to start sowing it you can still sow half hardy or the more tender plants indoors on windowsills if you wish um, cottage garden plants again it's really great weather for planting so the soil is good and moist without it being too wet and again we're going to get significant growth so things like the hemerocallus which is the lovely daylily produces these trumpet shaped flowers from May right through to the end of the summer and um, plants like the Shasta daisy you know that big white daisy you often see it around Ackle Mulrani yes. a really simple plant to grow it's perennial which means it comes back year after year terrific for filling up borders and beds very tough and hardy and a great cut flower and it's one of these plants the Shasta daisy that flowers for literally months and months and months it just okay. doesn't seem to go out of flower so plant it now there are varieties like Alaska and Snowcap which are I suppose describe the plant really well because it's mm. got that beautiful white flower, large daisy-like white flowers from the middle of the summer right through till early autumn. So that's the Shasta daisy or co- it's a cottage garden plant. Things like asters, lupins, aquilegia, which is just coming into flower at the moment. That's Granny's bonnet. It's got a small drooping flower, real old cottage garden plant, grows in height depending on the varieties, but generally about 18 inches. And these nodding flowers, which oh, are yes. lovely in early spring. Um, so look for those kind of cottage garden plants. Most of them, all of them really are perennial. They come back year after year. Simple plants like lupins and delphiniums, foxgloves. They, if planted now, will flower this summer for you and then they come back every year. And the last area to focus on will be things like the planting of hedges. Yep. In particular, we'll get lots of calls from um, customers over the last number of weeks just wondering about putting in hedges is still the time it is. You can put them in now. The soil conditions are ideal for planting. Um but be careful what you, you choose because obviously you want to select the plant to suit the environment in terms of exposure first and foremost. If you've got an open, windy site, make sure you put in a plant that's going to tolerate that. So something like the Silver Edge. But also think long term with hedges that there's a lot of maintenance, particularly there to the more vigorous varieties. Yeah. So things like Lelandii or the Common Laurel can be quite vigorous and grow quite a lot per year. And that's fine if you want a big, tall, solid hedge. You know That you want quickly, but you have to think about who is going to come and who's going to do the cutting and the trimming. And Correct. How is that all going to work? And not just think about the aesthetics of it, but the practicalities as yeah, well. And yeah, and people tend to be, you know, we, yeah. we generally get customers, I want something quick, something yeah. fast, I want it tomorrow yeah. type of thing, rather thinking long term, because some of the more vigorous plants will certainly give you a hedge in the short term but they remain very vigorous and we're seeing many listeners taking out the more vigorous uh, conifers like like the Lelandii which were very in vogue I suppose 20 years ago because of their speed yes. and how quickly they covered but they, they have become I suppose problematic in yeah, terms of trying to maintain un- them. They're almost unwieldy if they're not maintained. If they're not maintained yeah, on a very regular basis. Issue, yeah. so, so I suppose the advice is if you are thinking about putting in screening or hedging put a bit of thought into the and get some advice in terms of the plant you choose and think about long term even though you might have to wait an extra two or three years for a plant to attain the height you want it's better in the long term to put if you want to hedge five or six feet well put something in that's slow growing like Etna or uh, Silver Edge, or one of those slower growing hedges that are easier to maintain. And, um, you know, long term, you're only training them once a year yeah. rather than two or three times a year. But it's a really great time. 
Again, I've got a lot of calls about putting in some bee-friendly yes. plants. And I noticed the lovely willows are flowering at the moment, which the bees just love um, in, in March and early April. But if you want to put in a kind of a mixed hedge, particularly that's uh, bee-friendly and that's going to attract a lot of the pollinators into the garden, this is a good time to plant plants like willow, plants like the red-flowering ribus, fuchsia, which flowers the whole summer long and bees, bees just love. Viburnums, there's a lovely viburnum tinus that flowers actually through the winter. It's actually still in flower um, and will flower for another month now. So it's flowering since last September, flowers all through the winter and right up to early spring. It makes a great hedging plant. Forsythiae, which is in flower, the lovely yellow. Cotoneasters, viburnums. There's a whole range of bee-friendly plants that you can make a nice hedgerow from as well. So a really good time to plant in general, be it common trees or shrubs or cottage garden plants, seeds. This is the time okay. of year. There's lots of growth, lots of growth happening. So feed your plants. Certainly, I did mention for the last couple of weeks about the pruning of things yes. like roses. Where again, people are still asking about that. So do cut, cut those back. You'll find that many of the spring flowering shrubs, like the forsythia I mentioned, that yellow, will go out of flower in the next two or three weeks and they should be pruned at that time of year, mid-April. So generally spring flowering shrubs, as they go out of flower, we cut them back, we feed them, they produce new growth and on that they flower the following year. So things like magnolias, for example, have been flowering for the mm. last four weeks. They're going to continue to probably the middle of April. And at that time of year, then, if there's any pruning to be done with them, that's the time yeah. to trim them back and tidy them up and to feed them then. So when we prune, we yes. feed. Daffodils, again, will be going out of flower soon. So again, we, it's a great time to move them. So if you want to give them away to somebody, if you want to split them or you know move them to another area of the garden, we move them in the green and it's also time to start feeding them as well to okay. build them up for the following year. Okay, so lots of uh, lots of tasks. That there, kind really. of stuff. Yeah, yeah just, I mean general stuff perhaps, but uh, this is what kind of will how really set the garden. It, it kind of in it the way you want it for the rest of the year. Exactly, such. and and you're using the, the the temperatures and the moisture that we have at the moment to start feeding plants, encourage them back into growth, to sow the seeds of plants, to plant young plants as well. Like the vegetable plants and herbs are available in plants now as well as seed. So it's very much that sense. Early April is that time of year of, of replanting, feeding plants, sowing of seed, sowing of plants in general. Because yeah. remember, if you put in a, a tree or a shrub mm. now or put in a hedging plant now, it's got the next six months of growth to establish itself before we get into the winter again. So rather than planting maybe in October, November, when there's very little growth mm. happening, if you plant now, you've got the whole season. You're not wasting the year. So put a, put a, a tree or shrub in now. It's going to continue to grow right through till next October and okay. settle in and before well the winter. Itself. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Loads and loads of questions. Big mix too there, Porig. Um Right, we're going to start literally at the top. What is the name of the weed killer for ivy, please? Uh, for c- controlling ivy, use SBK. It's a brushwood killer. You apply it at this time of year. It's a good time actually to put it on. So just simply mix it in water, a little bit of washing up liquid into the mix and then spray it onto the ivy. Just make sure the SBK doesn't get onto any other beneficial plants around it. So right. just apply it directly so onto the everything. ivy. It will. Yeah. So, well, it, it kills everything but grass, right. funny enough. Okay. So, um, but so for ivy, literally just make up the SBK treatment in a spray or watering can and just put it onto the ivy and that's it. Now, Lelandii trees that yes. were cut back to stump, mm. no visible branches. Uh, so uh, listeners wondering, will they grow back? No. 
Will they not? No. Oh, right. I <laughs> you seem surprised. Could, I thought you couldn't. Well, I thought you couldn't kill a landry. No, you can. You, you can. can. I mean, oh, they're, they're, I thought they're as hardy as something. No, well, they are. I mean, they're, yeah. they're they're so easy to grow and they grow so vigorously. But this is atypically what we were talking about. That yeah. I suppose we're <clears> wondering here, do we dig them up or and uh, plant uh, back or something else? Or yeah, well, if you prune, if you prune Lalandii back or you you cut them, this sounds like more of the word sawed back to stump level. Then they have the ability to rejuvenate, to reshoot. Certain plants have, like fuchsia, you can cut it within an inch of its life and it regrows again, or hypericum. There are certain plants that yeah. can certainly be cut back. But Lelandia are one of these plants that you don't cut back into the... We cut back into the green wood. Once you go further back into old wood and certainly into a stump wood, it doesn't reshoot. Okay. So you'll just find the stumps will stay there, the roots will die over time, and uh, it's not going to regenerate itself again. Okay. So conifers in general are not good at re-sprouting from the base um, for example remember many of the hedges were things like Escalonia were killed back with yes, the heavy yes. frost but you know people that waited some of them some reshoot of them it again back, yeah I have seen them come back but yeah. so certain plants and fuchsia did exactly the same it was killed right to soil level but reshot up again from the base bay laurel was the same it died right back but came again so certain plants have that ability to reshoot eucalyptus it's grown in Australia and in the bushfires, it's burned literally to, to soil level, even mature trees. But eucalyptus is one of these unusual plants that shoots right from the base again. Lelandia is not. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's a replen job. I think take them out and put in something else, maybe something that's more appropriate. Obviously, they were cut down for a reason. Mm. They're obviously got too big. So put in something that's, that's more appropriate, Great. I suppose, for right. the area. Okay. But don't cut Lelandia severely back. They dislike it and they don't reshoot again. But do keep them trimmed. Keep them trimmed, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, keep them trimmed on a regular basis, twice a year. Now, what is the name of the unusual Brussels sprout that you talked about last week? I tried my local garden centre, they've never heard of it. Is it seeds or plants? Do you remember? Petit, Jeannie, Matt, petit, petit, petit posy. Petit posy. Posy, yeah. yeah. So we were talking about this. It's a Brussels sprout. It, it grows like, it's actually a cross between, I suppose, a kale and a Brussels sprout. So the little buttons don't form into hard, round, um, you know, it's Brussels sprout, typical, atypical Brussels sprouts. Mm. They, they're looser like kale they're, and this, they taste like spring cabbage. Um, so they're, they're available both in plants and in seed and you can sow both of them at this time of year. So um, maybe plant a little bit of, of both. The plants will start to produce the small uh, buttons around July, August you can start to harvest them. Very, very easy to cook. You can steam them or stir fry them. Yeah. And it's kind of like a small loose cabbage that's produced. And the taste of spring cabbage rather than the very strong, strong taste, taste of, of Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Okay, so petty posy. Petty posy. You get in the Sutton's range and you also get plants available. And I would sow a little bit of both now this time of year. Okay. You won't need many plants because you get quite a lot. Even from a singular plant, you get quite a lot of Lost pickings. On, yeah. Okay. So if you plant maybe eight, ten plants, that will do the average and household. And do, are they one of those that kind of come back, come again? Sort no. Of ones? Well, no once it, it's grown, it's it, is it? Once it's grown, you, you yeah. continue to pick. The, the Like Brussels sprout, yeah. they'll ripen up along the stem. They're very winter hardy, so you continue to pick right through maybe up to Christmas. Okay. So they grow exactly like a Brussels sprout, except the li- rather than have the hard, round they're buttons. Like little, they're like little, little cabbages. They're like small the world, little yeah. cabbages. They're like kale. Mm. You know, they're curly like kale, but a very nice spring cabbage taste from them. So they're well worth growing. Um, Petty posy, look in your local garden centre. You'll get them in seed. If not, in, in they'll have the plants available. But remember, they are they are actually a Brussels sprout. Um, it's a variety of Brussels sprout. Now, I've pl- I have sprouted both Red Duke of York and Satanta potatoes. Both have strong buds. Which of these do I plant first or does it matter when I plant It doesn't them? matter. But the, the, the Red Duke of York is a first early. So that will actually, you'll harvest that back in 
you know, about the first, second week of June. It's a really good variety, actually. It's one that's voted as, as you know... Uh, one of the favourites, yeah, Red Duke of York. Um, so that's quite a good one. And Satanta is the is the Irish variety. It's blight resistance, a main crop variety. It's actually the daughter of rooster potatoes. If you like your rooster spuds, oh, you'll I love Satanta. Yeah, love, yeah, but it's a really great variety. It requires little if no spraying. Very good for people that like to grow potatoes organically. Um, it's an Irish bread variety, so it's it's flowery. Really good one. Red skin on the outside, white flesh inside. Um, so the rooster is more yellow. This is a white flesh inside, but it's a great tasting potato. Um, so that's the tantum. Both of them can actually plant. And this is great weather now for planting potatoes out of out of doors. So if people have them sprouted, get them out. Now, any suggestions for ground covering plants for a small area, about two foot by four foot? It doesn't get full sun. And can I put bark around whatever I plant then to prevent weeds? Yes, you can. Put down the, the plantix material first and then put down bark and that'll help to keep it... Uh, won't be weed free, but it'll mm. be certainly limit, easier limit, to maintain. Limit it limits, yeah, because you know, naturally enough, the seeds sometimes grow in the, in the bark as well. Having said that, plants for a ground covering plant is quite a lot, really. Planting clusters of threes, I would use plants like vinca, which is in coming into flower at the moment. It's a great ground covering plant. It's evergreen, it creeps along the ground. It actually roots as it touches the ground and produces the lovely purple or blue flowers, yeah. depending on the varieties. Oiseleuchen is a, another ground covering plant. Um, it's got dark green leaves, small can candle-like flowers. They're like small little candles. Prunus oiseleuchen uh, is the name of it. Again, pop into your local garden centre they'll advise you on that plant. Hostas are great in shade and I think a cluster of hostas really do well. I like the, yeah, they're lovely. Astilbes do well as well. All of those are perennial. Some are evergreen. Um, all of them flower. So any of those, that variety would be would be good and put in. It's a small, relatively small bed, so you won't need too many plants, but put them in groups of threes, which I think always looks better. If the listener wants to take a photograph of the area and bring it into the garden centre, we can have a look at it as well. Do you know, and just advise them specifically mm-hmm. on, on the um, area to just take a, fo- a photograph on your phone and bring it in. But any of those ground-covering plants, and do remember to select plants that will tolerate shade. So vinca, oiteloican, hostas and astilbes are all very good for shade, shaded areas. Lovely. Uh, now, we've got a pear tree covered in white buds. It's ready to bloom. Yeah. Should I feed it now? And do I need to protect against frost? It's growing on a south wall and in big letters, excited to see it fruit. <laughs> I'm sure you are. Well, pears fruited very well last year. Uh, it was a great year for um, for fruit in general, but particularly pears fr- fruited very heavily. So it's great to see that plant back in flower again. Um, yes, feed it now. High potash feed, so rose fertiliser would be ideal. A granulated feed, just shake it around the base of the plant. If frost is promised, I don't think there's any promise for this week coming. Whilst the the, um, the pear is in flower, if we get heavy frost, certainly it can damage the flowers and you can put a little bit of um, fleece netting, just literally drape it on it and that'll protect them. But do, let you know, take that off early morning because you want the bees in there to pollinate the, the blossom on pear. Um, but yeah, they're, they're actually flowering very well this year. So a little bit of feed and just keep an eye on, on frost. It would have to be heavy frost, particularly mm. the fact that it's up against a wall and it's south facing. It should be perfectly fine. Now, um, Helen's wondering, is it too late to set a lawn? No, and I, I did mention that, that if you're ready to sow, the, the, the temperatures at the moment are perfect for putting on lawn seed. Um, so maybe leave it another day, couple of days, let the soil, the surface of the soil dry out. Put in a preceding fertiliser. So get yourself a bag of Park and Fairway or one of the preceding fertilisers. Put that in first. People often forget to do that. Um, so put in the fertiliser first and then put the seed on. And you can do both jobs on the same day. So rake in the fertiliser, chuck the seed on, rake in the seed and leave well enough alone. And then just before you mow the grass, so that 
the lawn should germinate within about three week, four week period. Mm -hmm. So about the first week of, about the end of May, the first week of June, you'll give the lawn its first cutting. Roll it beforehand just roll the lawn beforehand and and then cut and take the first cutting off. And that lawn would be in great condition by the middle of the summer. Now, for the day that's in at Pork, is there such a plant as mother-in-law's tongue or are they pulling my leg on April Fool's April Day? April Fool's Day. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. There is a plant. It's a plant... Um, they often we often call it um, the snake the snake bark plant as well because it's a, it it feels like the skin of a snake and it's got a very similar color. Um, Sansevieria mother-in-law's tongue is it has sword-like leaves, very strap-like leaves, erect leaves that grow out of the pot. Um, some are variegated, so they're green and yellow. Uh, very very easy plant. It's actually a great plant to grow where you've got poor light or shade say in an office environment and it's a very very easy plant to grow because it requires neglect so very little watering and very little feeding you repot it every three to four years so it's one of those no nonsense easy to grow you actually kill them with kindness and so uh, you know it's 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 a really simple plant to grow, available in most garden centres or, or um, florists will have it. And um, so it's an actual plant, yeah, yeah, the mother-in-law's tongue. Not April Fool's at all. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. Now, could you advise Porik, uh, somebody's wondering, should they trim the lawn before applying the Zero Lawn Moss Spray or should they put it on first and they haven't cut the lawn this season? Right, well, get out and trim the grass. Yes, um, th- this weekend, hopefully, tomorrow's promise, a lovely day. So yeah. get out tomorrow, mow the grass back, take off, put on the grass, box, take off the first uh, cutting and then put the zero on. You can actually put the zero on on the same day, but trim the lawn first of all, put on the zero. The zero will work and kill the moss within two days and then follow up with a feed. Um, So give the the lawn a feed during the the middle of the week and that'll see it in great, great condition. Now, um, a listener really struggles with club root on their cabbage and turnip plants each year. So they're wondering, can they treat the soil or what should they do? Well, club root is, first of all, it affects all brassicas. So anything in the brassica family, things like radishes, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, even wallflowers are Mm. affected with um, club root. It's often called finger and toe as well, because what it effectively does to the roots is cause them to swell get these big galls or swelling on the roots and the plant becomes stunted. So the cabbages are growing fine for a couple of weeks and next thing they start to slow down and when you lift the actual roots, they're all distorted. So that's the way it gets its name, um, finger and toe or club root because it has these kind of club-like nodules on the root. It's, it's a disease that's spread by moisture in the soil. So generally when you have it, it tends to live in the soil for quite a number of years. Adding lime to the soil helps because it tends to be uh, favour more acid conditions, peaty type soil or low pH levels around, mm-hmm. you know, 5.7 or 6, uh, so kind of acidy soil. So adding lime would certainly help. But having said that, you can get club root resistant cabbage plants. You get them in the Sutton seed range again. Um, so look for those and, and you sow the seed because club root is around for probably hundreds of years. Right. So the breeders have developed plants that will actually tolerate club root in the soil um, so there's no magic treatment there's no magic spray that you can put on that will just kill the club root fungus yeah. um, limed, liming the soil does help or growing the club root resistant varieties so look for those in, in your the seed packs it'll generally tell you on the back of the pack whether it's club root resistant or, or not now, um, a listener... Um, who... No, just to mention, oh, sorry, that yeah. with club root, it only affects brassicas. So you can grow carrots and parsnips and potatoes and peas and beans and all of those can will grow perfectly so, happy. It's specific to anything in the cabbage family. So, so turnips, tur- turnips are a part of that. Yeah, turnips, swades, radishes, um, 
cauliflower, all the t- atypical kind of green leafed uh, kale, you know, all of that, Brussels sprouts would all be affected. But any other vegetable, lettuce and all of these, they're perfectly fine. It won't affect any of those. So the listener can do that as well, actually grow a different vegetable crops or herbs in that area and they'll be perfectly fine. Uh so, listener uh, has a Botinia red robin. Yeah. Uh, it needs some TLC. Can okay. I prune it back when? <clears throat> and also, do I need to feed it? Yeah, well, like all trees and shrubs, it's going to benefit from um, a feeding now. So, Fatinia red robin is that plant that produces the lovely red colour uh, at this time of year. So, as it's coming into growth, it produces lots of new leaf and new brilliant red colour. The more pruning it gets, the better it actually grows because when you prune it back, you're doubling the number of stems on the plant and doubling the amount of colour you get from the plant. And now is the time to do that. Even though you'll see some nice red young shoots on the top of the plant, trim it back now, feed it with a tree and shrub feed, repeat that about three to four weeks later and the plant will come respond to that and be a lot more colourful for you. And it's the type of plant you can even trim it in the middle of the summer to give it just a second trim again to bring back additional colour mm-hmm. for the summer period. So it's one of those plants that actually responds very, very well to regular trimming back and feeding. So you, when we prune, we feed, so get the fertiliser on it now. now. A bit of feeding will bring it back. Somebody's wondering, is spinach hard to grow and where should one plant it? It's, it's very easy to grow. There are two types. There are the annual spinach, mm-hmm. which you grow for one year, which tends to have softer, um, tastier leaves, but it's an annual. So you sow the seed at this time of year, it grows for the summer, you harvest it all summer long, and then at the end of the year, the frost kills it off. The other spinach we grow is beet spinach. So it's actually a, a form of beet but the leaves are used um, exactly like we use in, in the oh, annual right. spinach. Yeah. So they're two different types, it's, or it's often sold as perpetual, perpetual spinach. spinach. Yeah, it's actually a form of beet. Um, so again, you sow those from seed, or the plants are available. If the listener pops into the garden centre, there's lots of vegetable plants, and spinach will be one of those. It's frost hardy. You can plant it out of doors now. Um, it grows really quickly. Ideally, the location should be reasonably free-draining soil, reasonably fertile soil, so regular garden soil it'll grow quite happily in and an open bright spot so as long as it's not a shaded spot you grow spinach you can grow it in pots if you wish or you can grow it out in, into the vegetable area so perpetual spinach is the one that comes back year after year after year the leaf is a little bit coarser but if you pick it when it's young it's very tasty and the thing with spinach is to keep picking it all summer yeah. long and as you know you need a big sack full you do because <laughs> it wilts down into nothing it yeah. does yeah yeah. Um, so, um, or sometimes when you when you pick it young, it, it, you can eat it in in, um, in salads, salads, yeah, and all of that yeah. because the leaves are quite soft. Baby spinach, baby spinach, exactly, exactly. So a, good, a great time to sow the seed. The plants are available also as well, and you can either grow the annual or the perpetual spinach, or both. Now, I run a creche for children and want to grow some simple herbs and veg. We've no soil or beds. Is there any growing tables or pots on legs that I could use? And what soil do I use? Okay, well, I would use a regular, um, rather than using garden soil, you're, you're bringing in a certain amount of weeds and you're bringing in a certain amount of potentially pests and mm-hmm. whatever. So get yourself a good quality compost, something like the GrowWise. Uh, with, you can get some with added John Ennis, which is a particularly good compost to use for vegetables. Um, and it's clean for the kids to use as well. So when they're digging and they're putting their hands into it, it's, it's, it's nice and clean and easy to wash off. Um, I would use some of the uh, vegetable tables. You can actually get one. I'm, I'm, I'm tr- it's struggling to, get, to think of the name of it. But there's actually one um, specifically for, it's on legs, on four legs, a plastic container. It's about eight inches deep uh-huh. and um, it's specifically for the growing vegetables. And it's about 
when I think of it, it's about maybe three feet high, so it's perfect for children. They'll just kind of see over it and be able to get their hands into it. Um, Elho, that's the name I'm looking for. It's an Elho <clears throat> trough. Um, it's roughly about maybe three feet long by about 18 inches deep, wide and about 18 inches deep. So it'll be perfect for growing all vegetables, even carrots and parsnips. Um, there's enough depth in it to grow them. You could even grow some potatoes in it if you wanted it. It has enough volume to grow potatoes. Perfect for herbs and perfect for all the salad crops, even strawberries. Because it's about three feet high, the strawberries will hang over the edge of it. So that's an Elho Grow uh, table. Grow table. And um, they're they're super. And they even come with a a little cloche that fits on the top of them. Oh, yes. Which is very handy as well, which again will keep birds off or, and again create that little micro climate. So they'd be ideal for children. They're about child height, um, waist height, on, 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 I suppose, on a child. And, you know, so easy to get at, easy to access. Yeah. Fill it up with grow ice, compost and um, start sowing, planting some plants and, and strawberries and, and some seed yeah, and whatever. you'll see things coming along. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it should be brilliant. perfect for a brilliant. crash environment. Okay. <clears throat> um, one more and then we'll take a break. Uh, shrubs and heathers that grass is growing up through. Can I kill this off, asks Rosalind. Unfortunately, they, there, years ago there was a treatment for it, but that treatment is, is uh, not available anymore to the amateur gardener. Um, so what can you do with this grass? You can actually, you could treat it with the Roundup gel. Yeah. So, but that's a bit tedious. You're going yeah. through, you'll have to literally wipe it onto each leaf or onto each clump of grass. Um, but there's nothing, no other treatment, you know, unless you get down there down on your with knees, the hands. I'd say, and yeah, exa- exactly. And just take the grass out. Okay. All right. I have 20 strawberry plants that I transplanted last year and built a greenhouse where they are now. They have a few leaves but not thriving or progressing at all this past month. I also have six garlic grown from certified clove and tomato plants grown from seed in three inch pots. They grew to an inch and nothing more for the past three weeks. Spinach is coming along okay but lettuce growing very scrawny and weak. All these are in the greenhouse. Strawberries and garlic in the ground tomatoes in pots, spinach and lettuce in a big polystyrene container all in good compost soil and water daily please help to get things moving wow yeah, it's long <laughs> but thank you very much listener well, look at they're very very active fair play they've, they've really got uh, the season going there yeah. look at they've, they've answered it in their own question that the, the problem is that they're watering the plants daily okay Plants don't require that level of watering, even in a greenhouse, at the, particularly at this time of year. Fine in the summertime in July and August when the plant, when the tomato is six feet high and it's full of fruit, yes, it requires daily watering. And one of the key killers of many plants is overwatering because the, the water is the effect of squeezing the oxygen out of the compost and the roots literally just die or stagnate. And that's exactly what the listener is, is describing. This time of year, watering in a greenhouse once a week is more than sufficient. I haven't been in my own tunnel for the last three weeks. <laughs> no, I know plants. I know plants. The plants, you don't neglect them to that level. But you know, daily watering and daily care is not required. Once a week is more than sufficient. And if anything, seedlings should be let slightly dry out and then water. So ebb on the side of it, kind of just keeping them slightly underwater because overwatering also increases the problem with disease problems because many diseases are spread by moisture. So look, all the listeners needs to do is cut back on the watering. Don't visit the greenhouse as often. Once a week is more than sufficient at this time of year. And then as we get into May and June, certainly start to increase the watering levels at that stage. But pull back a little bit on the water and that's all that's wrong here. 
Lovely. Um, now, Mary has a phalaenopsis, and she's yeah. wondering, how do you look after it? Well, phalaenopsis is one of the orchids, and one of the easier orchids to to um, to look after and, and grow. Generally, people get them for Christmas time. They're in flower for Christmas. They're lovely then through January, February. They're going out of flower now right. at this time yeah. of year. <clears throat> They're the ones with the delicate flowers. Yeah, and, and you cut them back. So you take off the old flowers, mm. any old leaves, you take them back. Um, orchids are epiphytes, which means they grow on the branches of trees. They grow in moss and lichen. They dislike our regular compost that we use for normal house plants. So you need to get a specific orchid compost, repot into a bigger pot, get some orchid feed, feed the plant about once a month, and just keep it, nurture it on over the summer period, and it'll come back into flower next autumn, Christmas, um, and it'll be fantastic again. It's a relatively easy orchid to look Super. after, but you do need to repot it, and you need, do need to start feeding it now okay. this time of year. Now, we've got a couple of questions in relation to, um, I suppose, shrubs for different soil types, uh, two very different environments here. So, Koch has, um, is looking for shrubs or low trees for very heavy soil in winter um, and then which dries out hard in summer. And we've got another listener looking for shrubs suitable for bog soil. Okay, so, well, for bog soil, you've got the unique... Uh, situation there where it's very low in lime and there are plants that absolutely love that like our rhododendrons our azaleas our magnolias our camellias all of those plants that dislike traditional lime in the soil you can grow them crinodendron the Chinese lantern so there's a whole range of plants that suit a boggy nature or a peaty natured soil do remember that that bog by its nature is low in nutrition so when you're fe- when you're planting the plants you need to add plenty of feed Ideally, some organic matter, some garden compost, some farm manure, that type of material is ideal for um, for bogland because it adds nutrition and it's all so acidic in its nature. So the plants that you put in there absolutely love it. So the feeding of the plants would be very important. And also then to go for maybe for a selection of plants that we can't traditionally grow in most gardens. Mm. So things like our rhododendron and azaleas, they require that lime-free soil. Um, fuchsia will do very well in, in, in it. Hydrangea should do very well if they're fed. So there's quite a range of plants that will soothe the acidic soil. In going back to the heavy soil, the wet soil, my advice really, you're very, very limited. There are a few plants like alder, like cornice, the dogwoods, um, that, that would tolerate the very wet conditions in the winter in the heavy soil. Ideally, if you can improve the soil, would be my advice for, for the first listener. So digging out that area and bringing in some topsoil to improve the nature of the soil because you're limiting yourself so to such a small range of uh, plants that it's better to try and improve the soil, even if it's just a trench of soil or a large pocket of soil, and then put in, you, it, you open up a wider range of plants that you can grow. So my advice really for the first listener is to improve the soil, spend a bit of time improving the soil, digging out some of that old soil, putting it somewhere else, bringing in some topsoil, put some compost through that, and then you've got a broader and wider range of plants. Again, if the listener wants to take a photograph, maybe the area, pop it in, come into us with it, we'll give them more specific advice on it. Great. You know, things like exposure has to be taken into account as well. If it's a windy site, if it's an elevated site, if it's a seaside, obviously that can limit, or it certainly changes the selection of plants that you're going to pick. So you could have a a boggy natured soil down in a heckle, so that's going to True, give you yeah. a different so, so you, you, than you, one in Roscommon. Yeah. So, you know, so it, it's, it depends on where the location is as well. Yeah, we just um, regular bog in Roscommon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, I just noticed actually, Ara, the question we had there in relation to the, the, the greenhouse and the overwatering, um, I think comes from a listener in Oxford. So oh, there excellent. you go. Good morning Great. to you. Hopefully um, that things improve there for you. Now, um, elsewhere, we have somebody wondering how you get rid of black mould from a <coughs> south-facing gable. The house is five years and it's not painted yet. Yeah, and very common. You'll see the black mould and you'll see that red you know, the, the red, red yeah, mold, mold, yeah, yeah. Red, red lichen. They're lichens that grow on the surface of the of the, um, and particularly on north facing, west facing, um, you know, walls. It's it's very evident. Yes, you can use a treatment. Hygia do a very good product uh, called I think it's called Red Mold Remover, um, but it's specifically for masonry walls where where you've got black algae or red algae on it. You mix it in water, you spray it onto the surface, and it cleans off the area within a week or a 10 week, days yeah. it's, it'll go great a good time of year to do that so pop into your local hardware store garden centre Hygieia do one and, and I'm nearly sure it's red, green and red mould or something like that on the container specifically for the purpose anyway mm. and it will el- eliminate any of those red staining or black staining on the walls yeah, you, yeah I think you apply it and then you leave it for a week or so yeah. and then yeah. it gets power yeah. washed off um, now what do I feed my daffodils with now that they have finished flowering well a high potash feed a tomato feed would be ideal a rose fertiliser a liquid feed generally is what's used so the Osmo Universal would be very good or a traditional uh, tomato feed would be fine so feed them for the next five to six weeks they generally take about six weeks to die back and if you feed them now you build them up for next year so great uh now um i planted the royal burgundy tree last spring it grew well the leaf color was lovely what tree could i plant with it to give contrast maybe something to flower earlier or later or more leaf color very happy with the royal burgundy would highly recommend it well remember that it's actually a form of of cherry and and generally the not the complaint, but the sad thing about the, most of the cherries is the flower of a very yeah. short period and then they're back to green leaves. Um, Royal Burgundy is one of those plants that has lovely red foliage from mid-March through till the end of September and then it flowers like the traditional cherry in April and, and early May. So it's quite a nice nice tree to put in. To give it a bit of contrast, I would put something in with a bit of bright colour. If you want something to flower earlier, the magnolias would be lovely. Stellata or Salangiana would be two nice ones. You could also put in uh, one of the maples, the variegated maples. Acer Drummondii has got very bright variegated leaves so it would contrast nicely with the red of the Royal Burgundy. The two trees together would give lovely uh, foliage contrast during the summer period. Amelanchier, um, that's the snowy mespolis, that's just on the point of flowering now, which is again a lovely plant. The leaves are bronzy in colour at this time of year, really bright snowy mespolis, as you can imagine. It's got this snow-like flowers on the branches, um, which is lovely and it would be a nice contrast to the pink of the Royal Burgundy. But I think for me, I, I would put in the Acer, the Acer Drummondii, that would be lovely leaf colour, which you will have from the middle of March again to the end of September, contrasting with the red of the Royal Burgundy. So the two trees would work very well together and they're similar height, similar habit. So, so they'd, 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 they'd be fine, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, we've got a listener wondering if you could suggest something that would keep in their front porch, uh, which would survive. It gets really hot on a sunny day and then obviously it's cold in winter. Okay, well, there are a couple of good plants. The mother-in-law's tongue would be yeah. brilliant. Okay. <laughs> She's as hardy as old boots. So that's, that's, that's a really good one. Um, the, the money tree, we had a, actually that question in a couple of weeks back, somebody asking about the money tree. Mm. Um, 
that's a plant called Crassula is the botanical name, but it's a money tree. It's, it's, it's a succulent and it really does well in conservatories. It takes the full sun um, and it makes a lovely kind of bushy sort of a plant uh, that gives year-round colour, really. So I would go for either the mother-in-law's tongue or the um, the money tree is, is a very good one. There are others then like Bougainvilleas if it's, if it's got plenty of space. You could put it in a lemon. Ooh, or one yeah. of the citrus or lemon tree, Very if you like different. your gin but and how, tauntauns. How would, uh, uh, as it happens, I do. But anyway, um, do... Fine in the winter. Do, yeah, that's, I suppose that would be the concern. No? Oh, no, no, no problem whatsoever. The lemon tree would actually... Lemons grow out of doors in Italy and in, in lots of countries. Yeah. And they get frost, frost. In, okay. in winter. So, I mean, it's not like the frost is going to be heavy. Like you're planting the plant outside. You have the lemon in the conservatory, it, the cool conditions in the winter will actually suit it because it's dormant and then it'll tolerate the sort of heat and you get the, the... So some of the citrus, the mandarins, the lemon trees, there's oranges as well available that you could plant. So it really depends on the size of the conservatory. But there are plants, lots of plants that would tolerate. Many of the cacti will, will do very well in it as well. Now, could you suggest a feed for clematis, please? Again, anything that's flowering. Um, now, if they're vigorous clematis, I would use a granulated feed. So again, a rose fertiliser would be good or something like the Osmo Pro 6. If you have a lot of plants to do, that comes in big bags and it's ideal for flowering plants. So about a handful of that, to course a handful around each clematis. Again, keeping it out from the wall and keeping it out from the plant at least a foot, sprinkling it around the base of the plant and repeating that in May. Because remember, most clematis grow from nothing, literally ground level to six or seven feet in the one year. So the feeding is important because the more growth you get, the more flowers you're going to get. Sweet pea would be the same. Many of those plants then have to grow from nothing. So the Osmo Pro 6 to shake that round the base with. This sort of weather is ideal. It'll wash in within within a couple of days. Um, now I've cut a border out of my lawn and want to plant some flowers that come back every year like the cottage garden plants. Okay. So what can I plant now? Well, the ones I mentioned yeah. from the, the uh, start of the programme. So things like the lupins would be great. Um, that Shasta daisy is fantastic. Hostas, uh, this, you know, agaranthemums give, give great colour. Um, the hemerocallus, the daylily that I mentioned. Penstemons, look, there's a whole range. Pop into your local garden centre. This is the time of year for planting cottage garden plants. Most of them will flower this this uh, in year one and they come back year after year. I would advise planting them though in groups. So put them in groups of threes or fives to get more of a clumped effect um, than just having them on their own. And you could, through that, sprinkle some David Austin roses, maybe some of the dwarf hydrangeas, you know, just to give keep that cottage mm. garden look. So it doesn't have to be herbaceous perennial plants like lupins. It can be a mixture of those and some cottage garden shrubs as well, dwarf fuchsias, um, you know, that sort of plant that I suppose complements the cottage garden look. Now, a uh, listener wondering how does one get rid of Mount Brescia? The bulbs are spreading and really taking over an area. Yeah, well, it's one of those plants that Mount Brescia is that orange flowering yeah. plant that uh, it's a crocrosmia um, that flowers. You'd see it growing wild on ditches and so on. And it does spread by underground stems. Leave it, what I would do if you want to kill it is to actually feed it now. So put some general fertiliser on it now, make it soft, make it susceptible to the weed killer, leave it for about three weeks. So about the end of April, treat it with the SBK brushwood killer that we mentioned for the ivy. Yes, you can yes put somebody, that on. somebody had asked about, can we reiterate <clears throat> that please? So it's the yeah, so SBK. That would be, SBK would be perfect, but I would I would actually put a general, some general fertiliser on the um, Mombrisha now. That'll get it soft, it'll get it growing vigorously and then in three weeks time if you put on the SBK that'll kill it off. 
Okay. Uh, now, my spring heathers have flowered since October and they're still in bloom. Um, I know you said to cut it back after flowering. When should I do this? Should I leave it for a bit longer or yeah, they're do going we to do it at this stage? They're actually really still looking brilliant at the mm-hmm. moment. The heathers won't really go off until the weather gets really warm. So you're probably looking at another three weeks, possibly up to the end of April. I mean, you'll notice on the plants themselves when they start to go a little bit brown and when they start to produce new growth, when there's a kind of four or five inches of new growth at the tip of the plants, they've obviously that's the time to trim them back with heathers trim them just where the flower finishes so again don't cut them too severely but you're taking probably three to four inches off all the plants and a little shears is the handiest way to do it you know little kind of wool shears or a a garden shears that's the handiest way just gather up the plant with the shears cut it across and again once you've pruned them put some fertilizer on them because with winter flowering heathers whatever growth they make this summer that's where the flowers are going to be born this winter and spring and they're great because they flower from literally October to the end of yeah. April I mean they're they're more kind of a spring flowering plant than even though they're flowering yeah. in winter as well they yeah. give six and months of colour and, and they do give a, and there's lots of different colours so loads of different colours variety. different varieties and they also will grow in any type of soil so they're one of these plants that tolerate both lime and acid conditions so they're, they're good and they're great for ground cover don't plant them in shade they need a bright open spot put them in groups of the same colour you can still plant them at this time of year um, but in terms of trimming them back I would leave the colour is going to wait for most of April enjoy them for another three weeks lovely now could you advise on what's the best product to clean the inside and outside of a glass house there's a lot of green on it Okay, we're really into or the cleaning. Yeah, we are. Cleaning spring, mode. Well, it's spring cleaning. Spring cleaning. What I would use, uh, which would be very effective, would be the pack, the treatment that we use on the... the, on the uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can... Tarmac. Pack is a liquid. You mix it in water. Uh, make sure there are no plants there or if, you, if there are, cover them with a polythene bag or some plastic and just spray the inside and the outside of the glass surface and that'll take off any algae or mosses or lichen or anything like that and clean them up. Great. Just one or two more parts yeah. before we finish up. So um, somebody's got seeds set in a tunnel about a month ago but there's no sign of them growing. Now we don't really have any other information in relation to the tunnel so that okay. might be yeah, it's unusual. My, my tip for, for sowing the seed, if you're sowing them inside in a glass house or tunnel or in the home, say on a, w- a warm windowsill, cover them with cling film. So make sure the compost is moist but not too wet. So when you squeeze the compost, two or three drops of water should come out of the compost, but it shouldn't run. So it shouldn't be excessively wet. Sow the seed, put the, a bit of compost over the top and then cover with cling film. And the idea of the cling film is it creates a microclimate right down at the seedling, which helps to germinate it faster, but also it keeps the, the compost moist. So it means that you don't have to water the compost once you've put the cling film on until germination occurs. Now, once you see the young seedlings begin to germinate, that nice green flush, mm-hmm. then take the the cling film off and let them grow on. And like I said with the Oxford listener, not to wash them too heavily. Once a week is more than sufficient, even once, maybe a fortnight for seedlings, depending on the weather. Um, so, you know, it depends really what, what seed, you know, the, the listener maybe, you know, gives a shout at the garden centre and we'll go through it more specifically. But the cling film is a great way to reduce having to water and having to worry about them. They'll just do their own thing. They'll germinate underneath it. The light is getting through. Yeah. The moisture is still contained and they germinate very rapidly. And, and it, can't once, yeah, it adds to the heat as well a little it bit. It does, think, exactly. Does it? You're yeah. creating that microclimate. And then once you take the um, cling film off, you can all, often water the seedlings by just sitting them in a small, shallow tray of water as well let the water soak from the bottom rather than pouring it on top of the leaves yeah, yeah. but it's a great time for sowing seeds in general
Okay. Finally, 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 I need to get some screening for privacy, but don't have enough soil space to set a hedge. Can you advise which evergreens would grow in pots to six foot or trees? It's not that's a great idea, right. to be honest. I mean, look at, you You, you know, we, we have them. We have troughs of laurel and other plants and they're five and six feet high, but long term, that's just not going to work. Um, it'll be fine for six months Since or maybe grow. a year. But the, in the pots, they're going to be contained. Ideally, what I, what I would advise the listeners, if you can, get in a machine and dig a trench in that area. Uh, dig down, get in some topsoil. You need at least two, two and a half feet of good quality soil to grow a hedge to six feet height. So putting them into troughs and containers is very much a short-term measure. They won't do well. They'll break your heart trying to keep them watered and maintain, and eventually you won't be happy with the result. So it's better to do the soil, prepare the soil properly, and then go ahead and, and put some in, or else put up something timber cladding or netting or something else. Okay. An alternative. Yeah. Porik, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, You're more than welcome. lots for people to be out there. Uh, Porik is back next Saturday, although I will be uh, ah. in absentia somewhere <laughs> else. So, I'm on the yeah, not quite, I'm okay. sure. But anyway, um, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks' time. Okay. Stand by, Michael Neary is on the way next with uh, Country Classics after the news with Angelina Nugent. Uh, from me, until two weeks' time, good morning to you.